everybody. Get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a chef for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We've got Valentine's Day on the horizon, but today we're we're going to get into meatier subjects as well. We're going to feed your mind, your body, your soul. We're not discussing Valentine's Day at all. Your spirit. I know. Well, if you're going to go to the Smith for Valentine's Day, you are. Okay. I guess that's true. Or Woodward Table. But we're also going to feed your sense of justice. So back with us is Catherine Miller from the James Beard Foundation. You've heard about Sanctuary Cities. Now you're going to be hearing about Sanctuary Restaurants. We're going to hear about how that works and how chefs around the country are joining together to... uh, Bring a sense of justice to this mess that we have going on here. Okay, and also in studio with a ton of food are the guys, Jeff LaCourt and Chef Brian Ellis from The Smith. This is a very hot restaurant in New York City, and they have just opened up their doors in D.C. In fact, they're serving brunch as of today or yesterday, right? Yesterday. So uh, we're going to find out what they're all about in just a little bit. And there's a boatload of food here. Yes, okay. that's true. All right, so I was going to sing 99 Bottles of Beer on the Wall Unfortunately, in you're honor not. of Teresa McCullough's appearance here. Teresa is a leading historian who was re- uh, recently appointed to oversee the American Yum. Brewing History Initiative at the Smithsonian, and um, she's the daughter of a home brewer. She's a, uh, a prominent historian, and she somehow melded those two to take over the beer initiative of the Smithsonian. It's going to be and so gonna, cool. We're going to really excited. hear how the, the history of beer and the history of, of, of American history, excuse me, mm-hmm. kind of dovetail. Okay. And uh, with even more food in studio yeah. uh, comes the people from Chula. It's uh, a new Indian restaurant that is out in the Mosaic District, and they have some really great stories. And in with us today is Raji Sankar. Did I say that right, Raji? Okay, good. Uh, and uh, Thomas McNulty. I think I got that one Did right. Did you say that yes. right, Thomas? Okay, just making sure because I do butcher names all the time. Um, but they brought in tons of food in studio, but they do everything in-house, and I think their stories are really interesting. Um, and you can watch us today on Facebook Live if you go to Nikki Nellis. Um, and, of course, also check out my Instagram stories because I have videos with everybody in studio today. All right, and uh, he's back again. Jeff Boobin was just here. Uh, James Beard, award winning chef. Jeff (laughs) Boobin opened up uh, Woodward Table about a block from the White House. It's going to be big, really big, right? And he'll be winning. Um, And he's in with uh, his uh, GM and beverage director, Alyssa Costello. They've got great signature cocktails, a bunch of which are. Alyssa, you're going to have to step up to the mic. A bunch of which are uh, cherry blossom themed. And why don't we start talking about that? So, Alyssa. First of all, why don't you give us a little bit of info on Woodward Table? So Woodward Table is located about a block from the White House. We're on the corner of 15th and H. Um, and we're gearing up for Cherry Blossom and, of course, Valentine's Day, which is only a few days away in case no one's noticed. Right. <laughs> um, so today we are going to start off with um, the Hanami Picnic, mm-hmm. which is our seasonal cocktail for the Cherry Blossom. And we have Miss Melissa. Have some time though for the cherry blossom, right? Like that's not until when is it? March or April? What, April. Look yes. out the window; it's going to be tomorrow. Okay. I know. You never know with this weather. It's all right. you know. They could bloom tomorrow. You'd never mm-hmm. know. That's very true. So Melissa is starting with the Hanami picnic. Okay. And so what's in it? So we have a Bing cherry puree, mm-hmm. as well as um, our Knob Creek, and 
There's ginger syrup in there. Okay. And then we garnish okay. with a beautiful edible flower. We're laughing because more food just came in. What, we so, didn't know where Jeff was. So what does hanami is. mean in Japanese? So hanami is basically like the traditional um, event where once the cherry blossoms blossom, everyone gets together and they celebrate and they have a huge picnic and, you know, spend a lot of time outdoors. All right. In case everybody's forgotten, the reason Japanese is involved is the Japanese government gave us these cherry trees back in 1908, I think, as a... Uh, a friendly offering, so that's why we have cherry blossoms. All right, so yeah, what is all this, Jeff? Okay, what we've got here this morning: uh, cocktails should be civilized, so we're going to have a little food with the cocktail. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just day drinking. Right. All right. So we've got uh, gougiers, which are famous uh, uh, in Burgundy region, and we serve those at Bistro Beast. Uh, it's a choux pastry with uh, Gruyere cheese. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, pâté en brochette, which is uh, pâté campagne with a little pickled uh, onion. Cornichon and truffle mustard, uh-huh. and uh, anchovy palmiers, which is, you know, traditionally a palmier is uh, rolled in sugar and, mm-hmm. and a sweet pastry. This is with anchovy and a little bit of uh, parmesan. Ooh, it looks palmier. like a, a millifolie. So, yeah, they're beautiful, they're beautiful. warm, they're gorgeous. All right, we're going to come back to you in a little bit. All right, uh-huh. so now we're going to get very serious. Catherine. <laughs> yes. Catherine's going to be our downer. I'm the so downer for the day. Catherine, Catherine <laughs> is with the uh, James Beard Foundation, and why don't you talk... Two seconds about your role there and why, you know. Yeah, so a couple years ago, the James Beard Foundation decided it wanted to do more than just be restaurant awards and scholarships and our events. And so we have launched an impact series of programs focused on sustainability um, and focused on um, policy advocacy and using chefs to be the best spokesperson most best spokespeople that they can be mm-hmm. um, in their communities. And so it's been great. Um, we've been, we launched the programs officially in April and uh, it's been a really fun and exciting time. And now but you do all these like chef boot camps. I mean, you do some really incredible action focused activities with the chef to give them a platform yeah. um, to communicate with people, right? No, thank you. I mean, we were, we realized, um, as many did, that chefs and restaurateurs and those in the culinary industry were really, um, that our cultural leaders and our community leaders. And we mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that they were empowered and had the tools and the resources and the confidence to go out and get involved in things like policy fights, sure. right? Right. So we got a big policy fight with the whole mess over immigration. And you have cities, you have universities that are declaring themselves sanctuary universities, and now you're going to have sanctuary restaurants. Yeah. What does that mean? So Sanctuary Restaurants was started by um, Rock United and Presante, which is a Latina X uh, organization focused on immigration and human rights and social, social justice. And the idea is that restaurants around the country can declare themselves sanctuary restaurants. This doesn't mean they're shutting their doors and, you know, barring, you know, from police action. What it means is that they are allies in this fight. So they are um, stated public representations of we don't we don't support discrimination. We don't discriminate. We support our communities and the people. I mean, 53 percent or more of the back of the house staffs of American restaurants are people of color. Mm -hmm. Um, Many are immigrants. Um, there are lots of folks in the industry who are LGBTQ, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is a serious time for people like that. I mean, people are scared. And so this was the restaurant um, community's opportunity to step up and say, hey, we will stand with you. Does the James Beard Foundation lobby? 
We don't lobby. We're a, we're a nonprofit. And so what we do is train people to do these types of things. But the James Beard House is a restaurant. We do 194 distinct events every year mm-hmm. with, you know, chefs from all over the country. And we ourselves are a sanctuary restaurant. Right. If you go to the house, you will see the sticker. You will. But let's talk about mm-hmm. what that means for restaurants in general. I mean, this area in D.C., I mean, given it's a very um, left-leaning city, so sanctuary cities would be welcomed with open arms. I mean, you know, you're not going to get a lot of people coming in or questioning it or having a problem with it. But as this concept spreads across the country, there are going to be areas that maybe restaurants are afraid to put it out there. I mean, at the end of the day, having a restaurant is a business and you need to make money. Yeah. So I, I guess my question is, is uh, how do they reconcile all of that? How do they how do they stand their ground without putting their business in jeopardy? Yeah, and I, for every chef and restaurateur, it's going to be a different equation, right? Mm-hmm. Some are super excited, look at, at and super passionate about standing up for causes. I mean, look at our own industry, Jose well, Andres. Locally, 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 they all do. I mean, right? they all pick causes. Everybody is out full force here. It's yeah, and it's amazing. Ha- and I think th- that people in the center of the country, let's say in the, you know, the I states, Indiana, Iowa, they're looking to places like DC, like Virginia, like Maryland for examples of what happens, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have seen people declaring themselves as sanctuary restaurants and getting their Facebook pages blown up with, you know, fake Yelp reviews and hate speech, right? And one thing that we do and But are those just trolls? I mean, yeah. are they just people? Are they people who aren't even like near those restaurants that they're just? In some cases, they are. Okay. The right? net effect is the same. They've got the a net... bad review, and they've got. Yeah, or you look at some places. So there's a small, uh, small James Beard nominated restaurant called Cress. It's in Deland, Florida, which is just outside of Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, the chef is a green card holder. Uh, he's a uh, doesn't want to give up his Indian citizenship. Mm-hmm. Um, he declared both his restaurant, a sanctuary restaurant, and also is now doing immigrant dinners, highlighting the um, cuisines of the seven countries impacted by the travel ban. Right? Mm-hmm. It's great. Right. He has people walking into his restaurant telling him that they will never come to his restaurant again. And he is in Deland. But what's been amazing is the people who tell him he's they're not coming, there are four people who say, I'm going to try right, your I was restaurant say, now. Like, what, right, right. What's the wait? So the community has really responded well, in a way. There's a lot of parallels between that and Berlin in about 1931, <laughs> except that there are people standing up. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that that court, that they got a second ruling from the uh, the appellate court uh, against the ban is really amazing because if you look back at other times in history, people have been even the court systems have been too afraid to stand up to. Yeah, I mean, you know, an exciting thing that is happening is that people are standing up all over the country for the causes that they believe in, Mm -hmm. right? And we are seeing it everywhere. We're seeing it in places like Utah, where they're disrupting town hall meetings, right? Do your job. We're seeing it um, in Chicago. We're seeing it in Florida. We're seeing it here. I think the restaurant communities as a whole, restaurants are a place where people come together, Mm -hmm. right? We are the the restaurant. We're here in studio. Yeah, or here, but, but you pretty know, soon we'll all be drunk. Pretty so. soon we'll all be drunk. But restaurants are, you know, they're centerpieces of our our communities. Are they're the places where we go to celebrate? They're the places mm-hmm. where we go to spend time with our friends and family. And so it only makes sense that these amazing, generous business owners would stand up for the causes that they care about. But they can't keep if ICE shows up to go through and see everybody's papers. They can't keep ICE out. They can't. You know. No, you know, not legally. I mean, I think 
you know, we will see, you know, obviously there are new, uh, obviously we are seeing heightened ICE response around the country. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these are not situations where we are encouraging restaurants to put themselves in harm. Mm-hmm. Right. We are not. But what we are excited about, especially through Rock United and Presante, is that there is a mechanism by which restaurants can stand together. They can be seen as a whole community, thousands of restaurants around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and they know that they can find support if they choose to well, take these actions. So how can they find support? What mm-hmm. what is what are the tools that you're giving them? At this yeah, point? so I would encourage anybody who's interested to go to sanctuaryrestaurant.org. Mm-hmm. Right, you can get tools. There's talking points on how to respond to customers. There's toolkits on what it means to be a sanctuary restaurant. There are tools that you can download to be if you would like to do it more publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a community of folks, so they have created a place for chefs to exchange information. So it's a it's a great resource for people, and um, so I would strongly encourage people who are interested to go visit it. Okay, terrific. All right. right. Well, so when we come back, we're going to go to a commercial. We want to yeah. talk about the Food Not Fear events that are happening. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We are talking about sanctuary restaurants and what that means for the industry and for the diner. We'll be back in just a sec. Some of the most romantic moments happen at home. The market at River Falls in Potomac is offering live Maine lobsters or just tails, plus the best in gourmet prepared foods at marketriverfalls.com or call 301-765-8001. This segment of Foodie and the Beast is sponsored by ProFish, D.C.'s premier seafood company. ProFish delivers only the freshest, safest, and most sustainable seafood. Visit them at profish.com. This is Executive Editor Jason Miller. Follow me on Twitter to get the inside track on IT, management, and contracting news that matters the most to federal executives at WFED. According to the American College of Cardiology, people with heart conditions should take extra care with outdoor winter chores. While it's important to exercise all year, shoveling snow and extreme cold can both put extra stress on the heart. Talk to your doctor about which exercise is right for you. If your doctor approves, go slowly. Move small shovels of snow at a time in short sessions, particularly if the snow is wet and heavy. Don't ignore signs of distress. For more on living well and heart disease and staying active in cold weather, visit Cardiosmart.org. If you've ever worked for a large company that provides services to a customer, at some point you may have said, Huh, I think I might be able to do this better on my own. Well, this is a show for people who actually take the step off the ledge and fend for themselves in the cutthroat world that is government contracting. I'm Alan Scott of Columbia Technology Partners and host Ready to Prime, part information, part inspiration, and all small business. Heard the last Tuesday of every month on Federal News Radio 1500 AM or on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search Ready to Prime. Premature birth is the number one killer of babies. Those who survive often face birth defects and complications that affect them for life. For hundreds of thousands of families in the United States, this is the hardest thing they will ever have to face. And it's even harder on the baby. March of Dimes is providing education and support to families and funding life-saving research to give every baby a fighting chance. You can help. Do something today. Give them tomorrow at marchadimes.org slash tomorrow. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to Catherine Miller from the James Beard Foundation and Sanctuary Restaurants and what that really means for as a statement. And mm-hmm. in reality, they're also doing Food Not Fear events. Yeah, well, one of what the is things, that? One of the things we've seen all over the country is independent restaurants and even some restaurant groups organizing fundraisers in support of um, folks like the ACLU, organizations like the ACLU or the Immigrants um, Rights Alliance right. or Southern legal, property. yeah, all sorts of, and especially folks that are 
um, organizations that are focused on the legal defense of people. But, you know, we've seen it for Planned Parenthood. We've seen it for anything. And so in New York, a group of restaurateurs, including um, mostly from Brooklyn at the moment, but Franny's and um, Egg and a variety of other places have put together a series of dinners called Food Not Fear. And these are one using the cuisines of the seven countries targeted by the immigration ban Mm -hmm. um, to highlight those cuisines, but two, to sort of open up their restaurants as places for conversation about the issues with their customers um, and also great fundraisers for the um, organizations that they want to support. Similar to All In that happened during uh, Inauguration Weekend here in D.C. Yeah. Over 100 restaurants participated. It was very successful. It was huge. I mean, All In Service here in D.C. was is great and they are continuing to do things and Mm -hmm. the restaurant groups here in D.C. have been very responsive. I think you know, originally a lot of restaurant communities around the country were, we're just going to sh- uh, shut our doors for the day. Right. Right. I know, I know. And really decided to use it as an opportunity for positive action. Mm-hmm. And so it's driven new money to organizations at a time when organizations really need more funding. And it's driven conversation about the causes themselves. So it's great. Well, we should tell everybody who doesn't know what All In was. It's essentially, Quickly. instead of closing... They donated huge portions of their uh, revenues yep. that day to Planned Parenthood and other HRC, HRC, a human rights campaign. Other funds. nonprofits threatened by the Trump administration, basically, in the in Capitol Hill. Yeah, and each restaurant chose who they wanted to donate money to, so it was also very driven by the staffs and the leadership of each restaurant. And so, and and All In Service is still in action, so I would encourage people to look at them on Facebook. Okay, where can people find you? If they want to learn more about this, yeah, don't give your home address. No, not my. Folks can uh, folks can follow us at on Twitter at JBF Chef Action, which okay. is our Twitter feed where we put stuff. We're on Facebook and Chef Action, mm-hmm. and then I would encourage folks to visit SanctuaryRestaurant.org and All in Service. Okay. Thank you. Thank All right, you. Before we go thank back so to Jeff and Alyssa, I just want to thank uh, the folks at ProFish, uh, the market at River Falls in Potomac, Maryland, mm-hmm. Central Farm Markets, and Celebrity Cruises for supporting the show. Got okay. to pay the bills. All right. all right. Back to you guys. Come so, over here. All right, Jeff, you put down a whole bunch of delicious treats for us to snack on. Pick a mic so that we can talk to you. Um, I mean, is that something that you're serving at your bar? Or you're just like, no, I'm coming in studio today. I'm going to feed you people. Uh, a little bit of both. We we do. The Gougeres are famous at, at, at uh, Bistro Beast, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, we do a, uh, an amuse-bouche each evening, so we change them around. So these are just kind of three... Three classic dishes that we do. Uh, Why aren't that. you fat? I was. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you have to but talk you're not anymore. Show. You don't look get, good. i got to find out how to be was. <laughs> All right, Alyssa, what are we making next? What's our next cocktail? So now we are working on the Woodward's Church Tea, mm-hmm. which is we take Earl Grey and we mm-hmm. infuse it into our Knob Creek bourbon with thyme, rosemary, lemon, and we serve it over ice. Terrific. All right. Well, we'll look forward to you pouring that. And now... Now we're going to talk about the Smith. The it's Smith. A, Brand a new restaurant. A landmark restaurant in Manhattan. Well, you've got three locations there in the East Village. Where we else? have uh, yeah, four locations. Four. East Village, four. Midtown okay. East, right across from Lincoln Center in uh, Lincoln Square. Mm-hmm. And we just, in April, opened in Nomad, which is north of Madison Park sure. on 27th Street. Mm-hmm. Great uh, area. Yeah, right. it's been... You've just given Nikki another excuse to tell me she's always right, because I said three locations. Yes. <laughs> so, all right, so why D.C.? Why leave the comfortable confines of New York where you could open more locations and be happy and come here and give this a shot? 
you know, the Smith is all about being a, this awesome neighborhood meeting spot. Mm-hmm. And we've uh, been looking for great neighborhoods that we can go into. And mm-hmm. I've been spending more time in D.C. over the ba- last uh, four or five years and just love the growing food scene here and just felt like there's a bunch of neighborhoods in D.C. that we would just fit in great. When is somebody going to come to Kensington, Maryland? Well, that's that's what DC, I want to know. Uh, I've never been there. but Yeah, you're not missing <laughs> yeah, anything. <laughs> and so for people who are not familiar with your restaurant up in New York, like give us sort of a 411 of sort of the feel of the place, what it looks like. I mean, is it part of the phrase cookie cutter? Like, do they look the same everywhere or do you create a feel for each place? And, um, you know, what's how are the menus shaped for the neighborhoods? The Smith is all about the neighborhood. So mm-hmm. they're different depending on the neighborhood. The feel and the energy is the same. It's mm-hmm. all about fun. It's about okay. fun and happiness and awesome people. And that's sounds like our house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just I. It's it's just about great energy, mm-hmm. huge buzz, um, and awesome awesome food and delicious cocktails and just a great meeting spot. Well, let's ask Brian. You're the chef. How are you making the food all about the neighborhood and the you know well, the market? Like Jeff said, I, I mean, just being down here for uh, a little over six months, just trying to find the right you know purveyors and farms and and fishermen and oyster people. I mean. We, I'll make a phone call the night before, and they'll, and I'll order say four or five hundred oysters, and they'll bring them in themselves the next day, mm-hmm. and that's exciting for us. And my, we, yeah, my favorite, Brian said he just called the oyster guy, and he's on his boat about to harvest the oysters, saying, "How many do you want for tomorrow?" And he'll bring them in. Who's for your oyster? Yeah, guy? who are you working well, with? We deal with Whitestone um, out of, um, um, I think it's Northern Neck, yeah, okay. Northern Neck, Virginia, and then uh, um, just a couple other people that just. Uh, just love what we do and we love what they do and yeah well there's a lot of uh like local craft artisans that are really you know exploding here in dc from oyster people to farmers and uh spirit makers i mean there's just like this whole craft artisan movement here in dc so there's lots of really good product that's local that wasn't here 10 years ago so yeah it just no gives i mean, everybody... yeah, heritage pigs and stuff that sure. you know yeah. right it's exactly. fresh air, yeah and so we, now... we love being part of that mm-hmm. everything we do is Made in house from scratch, and we're just—it's all about the ingredients and um, you know, participating. Bird, in yeah, from how our big is bun. the space? Uh, this is about uh, nine thousand square feet. Okay, so we have like two hundred seats, huge fun bar, mm-hmm. communal tables in the bar. We do lots of craft cocktails. We have like twenty wines. Um, we have some wines on tap, some uh, wine from Virginia on tap. Which um, wine from Virginia? That's you a good question. Here, Here's—I right. brought you guys the whole oh, the menu for you guys to menus. check out. Right. Um, yeah, so we do. We're seeing that more and more wines on tap, and, and we're doing sense. cocktails on tap. Yeah. Also, we're doing so, an aged. Um, well, they co- have a Viognier mm-hmm. uh, from Michael. Yeah, but we're Shops. asking yep. which one is on tap. Oh, I'm just sorry. I'm just looking. Okay, go ahead. Look away. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're doing so, an aged cocktail on tap, mm-hmm. which is called an aged old flame. So it's a traditional old cocktail that we're aging in in barrels. With uh, rye and Campari and vermouth and yellow chartreuse, it's one of my favorites. So who's picking the one? Who's the, the beverage director? Um, his name is David Kravitz. He's a beverage director who's spent a lot of time in New York and starting to learn all of the local guys here, and he's done a really great job putting together an awesome menu. 
We brought some brunch cocktails. I was just going to say, all right, so you brought some great brunch cocktails and you brought some great brunch food. Why don't you tell us about what you brought today? Let's start with the food. Okay, um, yeah, that's where's gorgeous. Where's the fork? Right. There's no fork. I got, I got, oh, I got some God. knives over here. How about that? <laughs> yeah. So we have some monkey bread, which is kind of our play on a sticky bun uh-huh. with a nice uh, toffee sauce. Okay. What you're diving into over there, like, right. really aggressively <laughs> is the French toast. So it's a brioche uh, creme brulee battered French toast. I would say it was aggressive. I was, was just cutting pretty it. Aggressive pretty aggressive. More. And what about these two things here? Because they're Great. beautiful. This is a, a breakfast pot pie with um, um, with local pork belly um, and nice sausage from around here with a cheddar chive biscuit top. Uh, and then we have a nice sticky short rib uh, hash mm-hmm. with uh, jalapeno grits and a nice um, pistou, poached that eggs, shoestring potatoes. It. Yeah. That's like what I want to eat. That there you go. delicious. <laughs> Pass it over. I want to try that. That's you delicious. Eat it with a knife. And then you guys have amazing Bloody Mary's. Yeah, we're known for these awesome spicy Bloody Marys, and we brought a drink called a Gatsby, we called it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of our take on a French 75, so Mm -hmm. it's local gin, lemon, and we add a little pomegranate. That's it, Mm -hmm. pomegranate liqueur, um, just an awesome sparkling, with topped with Prosecco, so it's an awesome sparkling brunch cocktail. I like this coupe, because it's nice and big. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we like our cocktails large. I know, but a lot of people are using that little tiny coupe. Right. (laughs) There's no alcohol in that. Um, and so now you guys are serving brunch starting Saturday yesterday. and Sunday, yep. and then lunch and dinner. Is lunch open yet? A lunch is open, okay. so we do. Um, we're eventually going to do breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and okay. brunch on the weekends. Mm, um, so right now we're doing lunch during the week, brunch on the weekends, um, and our spot is in Penn Quarter, mm-hmm. so it's on Ninth and F Street. Right. Um, Important question: What about reservations? You know what we've learned about D.C.? People love reservations. They do. And we're really good at that. So we take tons of reservations. We also keep a lot of tables available for walk-ins. Mm-hmm. And we have, um, although I found D.C. is more reservations than walk-ins. So, um, but well, yeah, except, I mean, once the Verizon has a huge event, I mean, you know, people just spread out because yeah. not everybody makes reservations when they're going to a concert or um, yeah, last Caps night fans. Yeah, wow. after the Capitals yeah, wow. game at, at 11 o'clock. Georgetown at noon. I mean, it's <laughs> those right. cut the jerseys and all right. yeah, that looking like that. <laughs> exactly. um, So the other question I have is, have you had a chance to meet the other chefs that are sort of, you know, you've met Jeff. Hi, Jeff. <laughs> They're in the community because there's a great chef's community here, and they all get behind a lot of the, the, the charitable events, mm-hmm. the human rights campaign and other stuff like that. Have you had a chance to get to meet anybody yet? Yeah. I mean, um, we've been going out to dinner a lot uh, in our spare time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Opening a restaurant's a little challenging, but, uh, yeah, seem, they're so inviting and, and just, just really nice all around. We did the... The what um, did we do? Uh, food bash or something? Anyway. Oh, you did the we, food, food fight. fight. Yes. Yeah, we did the food fight, fight oh. which was, was great. And that was even yeah. before we opened. Yeah, so right. it was just everyone was so nice and, you know, whatever you need, you know. Yeah, yeah they, it's a good group of people here. Yeah, really definitely. All right. All right, great. Well, let's tell everybody where they can find you. So the Smith is at 9th and F, 901 F Street here mm-hmm. in D.C. Uh, we're at thesmithrestaurant.com, the Smith Restaurant on Insta. Stories and all that stuff you told me about. I got video of both of you. We're on that, so yeah, check us out. Okay, great. All right. Well, I think we'll take a break a little early, and then when we come back, we'll come back to Jeff and Alyssa and talk about your next cocktails. Guys, thank you so much for coming in today and bringing in all this delicious food. This is David and Nikki Nellis for Foodie and the Beast. I've got more booze in my future. We'll be back in just a sec.
I'm Aileen Black. And I'm Gigi Shum. Together, we host Women of Washington. You'll hear the inspiring and amazing stories of women who have paved their own path to success and achieved incredible milestones in their careers. Some have leaned in. Others took an unconventional approach. All have made an impact on the business landscape of Washington, D.C. and beyond. Tune in Wednesday afternoons at 1 for Women of Washington, Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Download it anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Search Women of Washington. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Listen to what Dr. Schertz is talking about on Tech Talk. They look at all the reviews and they they look up the reviewers. They look up, you know, suspect language. And I'm telling you, it is pretty good. I've checked, I mean, I only checked maybe 10 products. And out of the 10, four of them, they said you should go to another product because there are too many fake reviews. And then they suggested other products that had better reviews. Stratford University's Tech Talk Radio, Saturday mornings from 9 to 10 on 1500 AM. This is John Gilroy. My show, Federal Tech Talk, answers the question, how does technology make life easier for the federal audience? I've spent years interviewing federal CIOs, tech leaders, and big company CTOs. What they tell me is compelling, provocative, and always relevant to the federal government and contractor. Check it out Tuesday and Thursday afternoons at 1 on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, or download it anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Search Federal Tech Talk. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David Nicky Nellis, and I just want to tell the folks in the audience again that if you really want to eat well in the morning, get a food show because... I'm surrounded here. So let's go back to uh, Jeff and Alyssa. Jeff, you want to talk a little bit more about the restaurant? Woodwood, a block from the White House. Maybe he'll drop in. Yeah, the uh, come in. The uh, we're getting ready for cherry blossom. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we've had a great uh, a great winter with no snow. So every day we wake up and there's nothing white on the ground. It's it's a it's a good day in Washington. So um, these drinks that we're doing today are kind of precursor to what we're going to do for the cherry blossom festival, which starts. March 17th and runs through April. Okay. and um, But for people who haven't been to Woodward, I mean, it's such a fabulous space. Tell us a little bit well, about Woodward it. Woodward is, it's, it, you know, I call, it's a neighborhood restaurant without a neighborhood. It's um, true. You know, <laughs> uh, as, far, as far as that goes. Um, you know, it's really a, an interesting neighborhood. Uh, you know, I, I opened the Occidental back in 1985 in that neighborhood and watched mm-hmm. it, you know, and you couldn't go above uh, uh, Pennsylvania Avenue and... Uh, on the other side of 14th Street, right. mm-hmm. uh, with right. that. So you know, if you went up up, up above on 8th Street, it was really uh, the DMZ, uh, you know, for the longest time. So right. it's, it's and and uh, you know there were some there were some pioneers of restaurants there, and now it's you know we have uh, uh, restaurants all over the neighborhood, um, and it's it's changing, it's rapidly changing, um, as as things grow downtown. Uh, 8th Street is now becoming a little bit more of the uh, uh, passageway from uh, Georgetown all the way through northeast, mm-hmm. so uh, you know a, ci- a city center and things like that. So uh, Woodward is is American Brasserie. It's a it's a big inviting restaurant. Um, we have WTF next door, right. which we do breakfast and lunch. So we've got a little you something for everybody. W- so, what does WTF stand for, Jeff? Woodward Takeout Food. Uh-huh. So <laughs> the um, and and you know on our happy hour we're kind of famous for our happy hour. So. 
Uh, we do a big happy hour there. So the Let's cocktails. Let's just face it, Jeff. You're famous. So in the city, you are totally famous. So we uh, all know that. Well, look at him. I've been, I've been here. You're I, blushing. I, oh my God! Did I make Jeff Boobin blush? I've been I've been here a long time. Let's just put it that way. So. Well, you're just famous for being here a long time. Okay. Exactly. exactly. All right, Alyssa, what are you making next? All right. So the next drink we have coming up is going to be non-alcoholic. It is what? our. I know. What's the point? Um, Boo! Ooh. We gotta bring the show down. <laughs> Everybody's getting a little out of control. All right, go ahead. <laughs> so we're doing our Bing Cherry and Clementine lemonade, mm. which is perfect for your Sunday or Saturday brunch hangover. Um, just to chug that down before you start drinking again, and then you know, perfect for patio weather, and you know, we have a beautiful patio. Sounds it. Okay, yeah. great. Well, you start making that, and, and let's get into We're gonna into talk about Teresa. one of my. Very favorite subjects, and that's beer. So, beer is about to get even more respect than it's already getting, right? And that's because uh, Teresa McCullough, who is a leading historian in her own right, an American historian, Mm -hmm. is now in charge of the American Brewing History Initiative at the National Museum of American History. Uh, so you have to respect her I mean, authority. Everybody in the in this country, like we know, lots of people like they wanted that job. So you really. I, I to get yeah, there. I mean, Fabulously you're, lucky. You're yeah. a, a historian, and you get to sit around and drink beer all day. <laughs> what could be better? So what's the deal here? Why are, are suddenly are we seeing the, the nexus of American history and beer history sure, right, being important? Right. So this, this project, it's a new effort at the Smithsonian to collect and document the history of beer and brewing in America. And there's a special focus on the history of craft beer and home brewing in particular. Mm -hmm. The museum has already done a fabulous job collecting on food history in America, on the history of winemaking, and so expanding the effort to the history of brewing and beer seemed a kind of natural way to to amp up those efforts. Well, especially since a lot of the... uh, um early brewing in the States came from immigrants, right? Exactly, yes. And yeah. actually drinking beer was sort of looked down upon, right, by, like, I guess, high society? Well, beer beer has been present in America throughout our entire history, and so mm-hmm. that's actually exactly why it's such a perfect lens to ask very big questions about immigration history, about um, the history of urbanization, expansion of transportation networks, you know, business mm-hmm. consolidation. If you want to talk about anything in American history, you can always talk about beer. You can always bring beer. So anything we talk about somewhere, beer can be a part of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So how, what are you, like, what is your role and how does your role help anybody going to the museum? Sure. So I come to this as a historian, which mm-hmm. means that I am experienced in archival research and writing and and reading and speaking to the public. Mm -hmm. Um, The work of the project is going to take, it's going to take place in several stages. And so what I'm doing now at the beginning is delving into what the museum already holds related to beer and brewing, the kinds of objects and documents that already sit in our archives. And so Mm -hmm. I'm finding things like turn of the century beer advertisements and drinking songs or uh, turn-of-the-century beer-making equipment from breweries in the Mm mid-Atlantic. But the next stage is to think very carefully about if you want to if you want to collect on the, the history of beer, especially the more recent period, where might we go? Who might we talk to? So, you know, we're thinking of brewers and hops farmers and, you know, I'm, I'm even thinking of the early homebrew clubs, especially in California, who have newsletters that I would love to get my hands on from mm-hmm. the, the 90s. Just and call the Anchor Steam. They probably have. Absolutely. <laughs> they're they're. They're very crucial to this history. So, so we'll be doing, we'll be getting out into the field a little bit, to t- talking to those people, collecting oral histories, mm-hmm. seeing what kinds of things they might want to give to the museum for their permanent collections, 
And then the third part of this is to share what we find with the public. And so that will happen um, in two public events each year. Mm -hmm. We have the Food History Weekend at the Smithsonian. It's the last weekend in October, Mm -hmm. and there will absolutely be a a beer and brewery-related event there. And then we're planning one other event somewhere else in the country at a time and place to be determined. Okay. And what a, so, what but, a job. I know, well, but my question is, is how do you take all that, the history and artifacts sure. and then look at like what's happened in the last 10 years in this country with beer? I mean, is there a lot that you guys want to do with that component? Because craft artisan beer, you know, is now a uh, marketing, it's a marketing buzzword. But, sure. you know, 10 years ago, you had a total change in beer in this country. Well, and we kind of date really the beginning of this most recent movement in beer and brewing in history to the late 60s, early 70s, when you have people starting to homebrew. And that happened uh, primarily in the West Coast at the very beginning for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, you had American service members who went abroad in the mid-20th century, World War II and after, and got a taste of these European beer styles that they were not finding at home in America. They came back, they brought... English and Scottish homebrewing uh, manuals with them and started to to literally yeah, make it sound this. like they could go online and figure right. out how no, to make no, it. No, no, this is definitely pre-internet. And so, uh, you know, that, that effort really turned professional with the advent of craft brewing. And so this is a great time to start this kind of project because the first wave of homebrewers and craft brewers who really built this movement are still very much with us and brewing and, and ready to share what they have. Mm-hmm. And are you also looking to get into, like, the differences of beer is like how not just how beer has changed throughout history, sort of the complexities of beer itself, because there's so many different kinds. Absolutely. Sure. And, you know, that's that's what I find so fascinating right now is just this rapid expansion in the kinds of um, styles of beer, the brewing brewing methods that people are really experimenting with. And so, you know, uh, you see things now like barrel aged beers or Sour beers or mm-hmm. nitros and David hates sour beers. Okay, like just you're saying so, it. Like it's an abomination. Like, it's like a blueberry bagel. It's <laughs> against nature. Sure, sure. Well, and you know, brewers. She's not agreeing with you. Did you know, she's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Everybody could have no, their, their preferences. No, our son is a cocktail beer guy at a restaurant, yeah. and he loves sour beers. Yeah. Just, I don't get it. Sure. Well, you know, and people are doing interesting things with historical recipes. Mm -hmm. Uh, brewing methods that we might not have used before. Uh, One example I like to bring up, which is interesting to me, is the use of cool ships, which are these large cooling pans that are used during the brewing process that allow wild yeasts in the air to incorporate into beer. And so it immediately injects this kind of sense of local terroir into a beer that is, uh, to a certain degree, somewhat uncontrollable. But let me ask you a question. Do you you see, you know, in the the cocktail world, Mm -hmm. cocktails kind of went off the rails because, you know, people, they have to keep experimenting to keep doing something different that the person next door, you know, isn't doing yet. And, And as more and more of these craft breweries become, you know, legit and come out of the house and, you know, go into business... Is that happening? Are people, you know, I mean, are they infusing their beers? I don't get what's your point. Well, you know, you've got tea-infused beers, and you've got all kinds of stuff that isn't traditional beer, isn't traditional brewing. Is that getting cookie? Well, like like with cocktails, as you mentioned, I think in in the history of beer, we also see a kind of response to consumer tastes in the industry. And Mm -hmm. so... um, you know, as you, if, if you don't like sour beers, but that's a kind of new wave. I hate that them. I want the banned from the United States. <laughs> sure, right. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Well, and so how can people now, if they go to the museum, like what's there for them at this moment? 
At this moment, we have um, a wonderful exhibit about the history of American food, especially the interaction of food and technology from 1950 mm -hmm. to the present, including Julia Child's Kitchen, which right. was brought in one piece from Cambridge, is now now just sitting there present in the museum. And so mm -hmm. uh, over time, we will be integrating uh, materials related to beer making into that exhibit. There's a great section on American winemaking. But this is a different kind of project for the Smithsonian because the the initial focus is not on building an exhibit. The initial focus is on collecting, on collecting, collecting the information. The right. yeah, because I would assume it's hard to get super visual with that initially. Well, Do you know what I mean? Unless Until you collect all these Right, pieces. yeah. And we're looking for all kinds of different things, whether it's um, brewmaster's logs or their recipes or, mm -hmm. you know, advertisements that might date to the late 20th century, things that can really uh, bring, bring our older collections up to the present. It'll be really cool when you can walk by an exhibit and get a taste. Yes. Like yes. Will they be doing that? No, well, we do. Can we you? do have evening events at the museum. Right. Things. Yeah, uh, but you can't just hand it out as yeah. people are walking. Not in the galleries. No. no. Yeah. That's <laughs> against the law. Right. So, how can people keep up with your progress? So we plan to uh, share with the public what we're finding on social media. And so if you go to the museum's website, which is AmericanHistory.si.edu, we have a special page dedicated entirely to the American Brewing History Initiative. Mm -hmm. And then if you look on social media for the hashtags um, Beer History and Smithsonian Food, we will be present there as well. Excellent. Last question because we okay. have about a minute and change. When you contact Coors or Miller or Bud and all those guys, they must have a ton of, you know, Historic. I mean, they, they, first of all, yeah. Budweiser could just send you that commercial. Right. Call the day. <laughs> I'm August Bush. Okay, that's how that got started. Breweries have archivists. They have archivists who have held, maintained their records, their mm -hmm. their advertisements, and I've already heard from several of them who are very eager to work with I us. I bet. Why not? Why yeah. wouldn't they want their merchandise in the Smithsonian? Absolutely. I mean, I, it makes all the sense in the world. Right. Um, all right. Well, we hope to have, like, as it grows. We hope to have you back in. Thank we'd you. We'd love to hear yes. about the progress. Yeah, there's lots of work to do, exciting things to find. Okay. Bring Are you looking for you? I will bring. <laughs> yeah, like we bring That's beer your way to buy into this today. show. Bring the beer. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you Absolutely. So much. Thanks for having me. To come in thank today. you. All right. All right so next. let's go from beer to Indian food. Come so, on, chef. Step up to the plate. Uh, Raji Sankar is the uh, co-CEO, and Thomas McNulty is the managing director of Chula, which is a new Indian restaurant, an Indian barbecue restaurant. Uh, in Mosaic, and interesting trend with you guys, too, because what I'm seeing is a lot of Indian restaurants, you know, Indian food is very, it has very distinct flavors, and, you know, it, it can be very hot, make you sweat like a dog, but a lot of Indian restaurants, dogs sweat. you know, they, oh. <laughs> but, but a lot of Indian restaurants are very smart now. They're saying this is great Indian food with great Indian flavors, really tailored to the American taste bud. And that's part of what was in your literature, and I thought was interesting. So, I mean, how do you test that kind of food to see, you know, that it still meets your standards, but also will meet, I guess that's why Thomas is here, <laughs> get that American eating it. That's but right. Is that how it works? Yes, and it was very important to us that it have uh, the authenticity so that it would be from uh, the region that it represents. And mm -hmm. we also wanted it to be accessible uh, to a variety of, so we did a test kitchen for a couple of years before mm -hmm. we actually launched this. Well, why don't you give us um, more, we have two minutes until our commercial break, why don't you give uh, more of a 411 on the concept and what you're doing there, and then when we can get back, we can get into more specific. Fabulous. Chula means oven, mm -hmm. and in the old days, people used to gather around a community oven, bake bread together, share news, happenings of the day, mm -hmm. and uh, families, friends, it was a great gathering place. And that's what we aspire is we call it the modern Sanja Chula. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. uh, which is the community oven. And so when you come into our place, you'll see this beautiful ambiance, more like a contemporary museum of art. Uh, we'll have this big community table, display tandoors. Our kitchen is completely transparent, and our food is made from wholesome ingredients, everything made from scratch. And uh, we have some delightful additions for kids uh, when they come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we even have a hand jacuzzi. Uh, so a what? A hand jacuzzi. What's a hand jacuzzi? <laughs> <laughs> what is it and how do I get one? No, what is it? <laughs> what it is is you put your hands through uh, these two holes and uh, it spins. And there's warm water and beautiful uh, soap. And then by the time you take your hands out, they're softer and beautiful. And you don't have to go to the restroom to wash your hands. There's something like strangely sexual about that. <laughs> 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 but, but and the sounds... minute she says strangely sexual, <laughs> I get interested. So. <laughs> Very cool. All right. We're going to take a commercial break. When we come back, you guys brought in all this beautiful food. I want to hear about your spices and your paneer. We have a lot to talk about. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We are talking Indian food out of Mosaic, and we have some more cocktails. We'll be back in just a sec. So I'm a dog, and I just got adapted by this new human guy, and I'm starting to wonder how he got along without me. I mean, okay, something as simple as walking around the block. He's got this leash thing, and he puts me on one end and him on the other, and I'm just taking him around. I I think he's afraid of getting lost. Without that leash and me guiding him along, I don't think he'd find his way back home. But it's kind of cute. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the (laughs) ShelterPetProject.org. I'm more resourceful than I thought. My suit can still make an impression. My video games are still game changers. And my lamp can bring others a bright future. Because when I donate my stuff to Goodwill, it helps fund job placement and training for people right in my community. Now my stuff gets a second chance. And will give someone in my community a second chance too. Goodwill. Donate stuff. Create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. That's Goodwill.org. This message brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. This is Mark Amtower. With lower margins, your limited marketing budget has to work harder than ever. LinkedIn is one of the most robust marketing platforms available. With over 350 million members worldwide, 110 million in the U.S., and 3.1 million members within 50 miles of this station, I guarantee your customers and prospects are here. Connect, influence, motivate, create leads. I can show you how. When you want to maximize the return on your LinkedIn presence, email me at mark at federaldirect.net. This is reporter Nicole Lagrisco. I'm tweeting out all of my coverage on Homeland Security and budget issues. Follow me on Twitter at N-O-G-R-Y-S-K-O-W-F-E-D. Some of the most romantic moments happen at home. The market at River Falls in Potomac is offering live Maine lobsters or just tails, plus the best in gourmet-prepared foods at MarketRiverFalls.com or call 301-765-8001. This segment of Foodie and the Beast is sponsored by ProFish, D.C.'s premier seafood company. ProFish delivers only the freshest, safest, and most sustainable seafood. Visit them at ProFish.com. All right, you just heard ProFish mentioned. We want to thank them for sponsoring the show along mm-hmm. with our friends at the Market at River Falls, Central Farm Markets, and Celebrity Cruises. Yes. Glad to have you guys on board. Mm-hmm. So, Roger, let's go back. We're all talking with our mouth full. Yeah, we've all got our mouth full. Dug into some of your food. Let but, me ask you a question. Okay. Are there things that are common to, you know, the family table in India that have never made it to the States that we don't even know about, or are we pretty familiar with Indian cuisine? Uh, I think uh, the formats might be a little different, but there are some common elements that you're very familiar with, mm-hmm. whether it's a biryani or tikka masala or naan. Um, what is not common is how things are made at home, 
translating into restaurants here always. Mm-hmm. So we took that path that we wanted this to be a place where you can eat daily. Mm-hmm. And we don't uh, have any artificial preservatives or uh, any colors in our food. Mm-hmm. Uh, we chose that path. We also uh, chose very premium ingredients. We wanted you to have fine dining quality food at fast casual prices in that format. Okay. So let's talk. Uh, you and I were talking off air about your paneer. We shot yes. a little video on it on Insta Stories. But can we talk about this? Because this is such an interesting concept. I mean, you're basically creating a business for somebody else through this specific product. So let's talk about that. So paneer, um, we are very, um, you know, uh, very crazy about our paneer. We mm-hmm. have a family recipe that is just extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And we wanted this to be made on a large scale uh, so we could service our restaurants. So we went to the Amish co-op, and we actually taught them how to make paneer to our family recipe. Mm-hmm. And what's great about this is that allows them to charge more and become a sustainable, viable uh, business. We are contributing can, to that. They can sell basically your recipe to the to anybody else who wants no, paneer? No, not at the moment. They are doing it exclusively for us, but mm-hmm. they're, we are able to absorb right. the paneer. And uh, they are able to get, because of the value add, they're able to charge more, which is right. great uh, for them as a co-op. Right. And we are very excited because all the families come together and they're able to have these revenues. Well, let me turn to Thomas. When people come into Chula... Mm-hmm. And and they're clueless. How do you explain? You know, how do you explain the concept? But I in mean, mosaic, I mean, in are you having a lot of people coming in clueless? I mean, that's a pretty uh, savvy area. Yeah, and this you, region is pretty savvy on Indian cuisine. Absolutely. And when and when they come in, um, they have a lot of. Uh, you got to get in front of that mic. Sorry, sorry. It's radio, um, Thomas. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and they're you know when they walk into the restaurant, they're you know they're taken in by the the ambiance of the restaurant. But mm-hmm. um, you know, just walk them through the menu and, and give them the the easy to go to items uh, mm-hmm. on the menu the tikka masala the, the grilled uh, the barbecue chicken right and those types of things so yeah they are savvy and it's just gearing them to the you know to the options on the menu okay so let's also talk about your spices because you were telling me that you have special spices that you bring in yeah all our uh, spice blends are um are family recipes mm-hmm. uh, and created by our you know fabulous culinary team and we actually blend them from whole spices okay so then you're Crushing them there fresh, and yeah. taking care of them there. Yes. So how often, like, how what what size are your batches for that? So we actually are making spices, spice blends, very frequently. Okay. Because that's how it uh, stays very fresh. Mm-hmm. Which is really necessary because if yes. you want that flavor to be really intense, yes. you use old spices. Exactly, you know, and to get the there. consistency of that mm-hmm. uh, food as well. And what about beverages? What about the wine list? Are there Indian wines on the wine list? Uh, um, we've kept it really simple. Um, they're really easy um, options. Uh, it's just a, you know, there's four different types of wine. Um, a couple beer options. You know, we use Kingfishers, uh, one of our go-to. A mm-hmm. lot of people know that, so it's a, it's a good option. No Indian wines? Or you got an Indian wine? Not yet. Uh, we uh, had, a, we um, had an Indian winemaker here in studio. It was delicious. It was, it was called Bondi, B-O-N-D-I, and it was really delicious. This was several years ago. Oh, really? Mine, like yeah. a steel trap. I know, I remember that. That's why I get away, I get away with nothing, because you'll say, in 1928, you remember. Yeah. I wasn't there then. Um, uh, but, so, now, how many other properties do you have? So uh, the first Chula opened in Cleveland, Ohio, mm-hmm. uh, two years ago, a little okay. over two years ago. And uh, we always wanted to come to this market because everybody understands and appreciates uh, ethnic foods, mm-hmm. and uh, Indian food is pretty popular. Well, particularly where you are, there's a huge population of North Africans, Middle Easterners, Pan-Asians, everybody, and they they get it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have an exactly. East market around the corner from you. you That's know right. What I mean? mm-hmm. That's and, right. Um, and in Mosaic, there's a variety of different restaurants from – 
all American and a deli and an oyster Japanese, restaurant. Yeah. But yeah. then you have four sisters up the street. Yeah. So I mean, you have a whole range. Um, so you fit in. Best spring again. rolls in Washington okay. at Four Sisters. Okay. I, I guess that's where you go. I don't. I don't engage. So in talk about thing. this dish because this is really fascinating. Biryani. It's like yeah. It's yeah, the biryani is um, uh, made uh, daily. Um, we uh, steam the rice and uh, it's called dimka style. Um, it cover, we cover it with a dough. Um, and, uh, encapsulates all the flavors that go into it. Uh, 27 different ingredients that go in there. It's beautiful. Um, it's and delicious. it smells So awesome is the rice already made when you put it in there, or does it continue cooking in there? So we cook the rice, and then we'll um, we'll build the biryani, and then in, in the restaurant we'll serve it um, in individual uh, bowls, mm-hmm. um, and each one gets a, a, a wrap on the top of it, mm-hmm. and then it'll steam in the oven for a couple of, uh, about 45 minutes. Okay. Um, but they'll be able to get it um a la carte. It's beautiful. Pretty quick. But now you said the restaurant is fast casual. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? Fast casual means that it's counter service. So you come in and okay. then, we'll, uh, you know, you get served. Uh, you don't get table service. Basically, that's right. the only difference. So you go in, you tell and them what you tell want. Tell them what you want. You get a pager and then you uh, the pager buzzes and you get your food. And then you get your food. Yes. Okay, great. But is it served like, is it served on paper? Like just so people understand what the process is. So we're um, very eco-centric, um, and our all of our utensils and um, plateware is uh, bagasse. Okay, um, so, so it's all compostable. Yeah, right. um, but yeah, uh, it'll get served in the individual bowl, and then they'll get to take it home or eat it in the restaurant. So that's pretty cool. That is right. cool. All right, good. All right, all right so, let's tell everybody where they yeah. can find you, please. Um, we are in the Mosaic District on uh, 2911 District Avenue uh-huh. uh, in Fairfax, Virginia. Okay, what are you next to so people can place you? Uh, right in front of the Target. Oh, oh my God, what a great location. Yep. And right okay. next to Angelica Theater. Right. Also, fabulous. That, that ain't bad. Okay. That's a good location. Well, thank you yeah. for coming all in right. again for all, all the delicious you. food. Thank you. Thank Jeff you. and Alyssa, let's go back to you guys. Yes. What do you got? Is there another drink? Oh, yes. We have one more coming up. <laughs> She's like, yes, oh. I've got one more. So um, every spring we do, um, of course, dedicate our cocktails to cherry blossoms. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're doing a seasonal old-fashioned um, every season. Right now for winter, we're doing a butterscotch uh, old-fashioned with um, toasted walnut. Oh. And today... Is that super sweet because it's, it's butterscotchy? No, I think because the butterscotch really balances it out. Okay. So it's not totally sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives it a lot of flavor and it's a little bit you know, more sweet than savory, more of like a dessert rather than okay. just a cocktail. So um, then for spring, we're going to be doing the Morello cherry, old-fashioned. Okay, so what is a Morello cherry? So Morello cherry, they take the bean cherries, mm-hmm. and then they um, basically just, you know, we marinate them in Luxardo and um, sugar. So. Oh, yum. <laughs> that sounds delicious. If you're a cherry, that's the way to go, isn't it? <laughs> right. <laughs> so we take the Morello cherries, and we muddle them down with a little orange, um, Abbott's bitters, and then we top it with um, rye whiskey. Mm-hmm. Shake yum. it a little bit, stir it, and then... Port of rice. Okay. All right. And Chef, if you'll just come up to the mic, please, Chef Jeff Bubin. Um, Chef, what else is going on in the restaurant? What are some of the things people can find there now um, if they haven't been in in a while? Uh, a couple of the new dishes that we're doing on, on the menu right now. Uh, well, actually, one of the big big changes we made is we, uh, we just put together a, a new pizza program. So mm-hmm. uh, we've got a whole lineup of more okay. traditional Italian uh, top pizzas, larger format 
uh, with that. So they're great for uh, pizza's never going to go away, is it? No, you know what? It, it. It, it's kind of like if you can't beat them, join them. We did. I love we, it. You know, we, start, we started with flatbreads, and uh, now the pizza. Everybody's going crazy. Well, was there a pizza oven left in that space yeah, from yeah, the previous yeah. restaurant? So we, you know, we do a lot of hearth baked uh, items um, mm-hmm. along with that, but uh, we just went from a flatbread style pizza, you know, long stretch right. pizza to uh, a more Neapolitan style uh, and more Italian traditional uh, meats that we well, do. Well, you've got craft pizzas right? now, too. Is there anything new exactly. in pizza that we should know about? Well, you know, we, we've been t- – the one that we're working on right now is broccoli. We, you know, we're doing a lot of a lot more ve- vegetarian uh, top pizzas. So we've got a lot of meat-centric, and for the spring we'll go into the crab and uh, soft-shell. The one that we're going to uh, preview in the spring is a soft-shell crab all right, pizza. I'm for that yeah. man. All right, all right. We got a the we show's gotta over. So everything you heard about on the show today, if you go to the list, are you on it? dot com, Nikki's website, you'll find info there. Follow her on Twitter and follow her on WTOP every week. So you can find everything today that was happening in studio on Facebook Live, which is on my Facebook page at Nikki Nellis. Of course, it's all on Instagram and on Twitter and on the list. Are you on it? dot com. We're taking a Sunday she, off she's next Oprah. week. Oprah. Not yet. Uh, For President's Day, but the following week, it's going to be Mardi Gras in studio. So if you think it was boozy today, just wait till then. We want to thank all of our guests for joining us today. It was really a fantastic show. And everybody, please have a delicious week.